Good morning. Um, today's date is March 19th, 2023. We are reading out of the big book of AA, starting on page 30 at the paragraph where it says most of us. And we'll read up to and including page 31, the paragraph starting with we do not like to pronounce. We have our reader, um, our text reader will be Kathy you, and then we will have a 20-minute share followed by reading by Rita. So uh, after the reading, then we'll get started on our speaker. So I'm going to go ahead and have uh, Kathy, if you would please unmute and go ahead and read for us. Good morning. My name is Kathy. I'm a compulsive eater. More about alcoholism. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, 
Our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Here are some of the methods we have tried. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never having it in the house, never drinking during business hours, drinking only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy, drinking only natural wines, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job, taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever with and without a solemn oath, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, accepting voluntary commitment to asylums. We could ease, increase the list ad infinitum. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. Thank you for letting me serve. Thank you so much, Kathy. Uh, now we're going to have our presentation from Miss Rita, the lucky leprechaun all the way from Ireland. Rita, do you want anyone to time you? Or Yeah, if you could just give me five minutes and then one minute. All right, take it away. Thanks so much, Marla. Hi, everybody. My name is Rita Cure, recovered, definitely not cured, compulsive overeater. I just need to say a quick prayer because um, just so the ego stays at the door. Uh, this is by Father Michael George. Take me where you want me to go. Let me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me you want me to stay and keep me the F out of your way is how I say it. And Lord, keep me free of ego, self-importance, always remaining your humble servant. I couldn't have had a better chapter to, 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 to talk about. I just love it. I've actually renamed it. More about denial, stubbornness, self-will, uh, and drama. That's basically what it is for me, this, this chapter. And I just want to read something out of step one in the AA 12 and 12 that really sums it up for me. It says at the very at the very back of the book, if you've got it on page 24, who wishes to be rigorously honest and tolerant, who wants to confess his faults to another and make restitution for harm done, who cares anything about a higher power, let alone meditation and prayer, who wants to sacrifice time and energy in carrying to AA's message to the next sufferer. No, the average alcoholic, self-centered and extreme, doesn't care for this prospect unless he has to do these things in order to stay alive himself. Sorry, under the lash of alcoholism, we are driven to AA, and then there we discover the fatal nature of our situation. Then and only then do we become as open-minded to conviction and as willing to listen as the dying can be. We stand ready to do anything which left the merciless obsession from us. I want to just make it really clear. I'm not an alcoholic, but I ate like Bill drank. I ate like Bill drank. I could not get out of the food. Since I was born, I have been a compulsive overeater and I haven't stopped. I did not come to this program where Brad put my, my arm and a 500 million pound win on the, you know, the lottery. That's not how it works. I came to, I crawled into these rooms at 380 pounds the first time around. I think, no, 350, I think the first time. 
400 the second time when I had to go out and do more research, which, as you can tell, went brilliantly. So let's jump into it now. This is the, for me, this is all about compliance versus surrender. So just quick, I want to give you a quick history. So to qualify myself, I was born in 1974. That makes me obviously 32. Um, I, like I said, I've always been a compulsive overeater. Four boys in our family. I was youngest. Meal times were really important because we grew up in the north at the time of the troubles. So people, were, we always had to be home in time for dinner. Um, and we all, my brothers, like growing teenagers, you know, they're all like gamuts. Uh, so I, I had seen a behavior around food and how important food is. Irish people, it's a very big celebration as well. So, you know, I ate from an early age, came to England at 19 to study at Manchester um, University here. And in the UK, it's quite common to go to England for uni and um, ended up at Discovered Alcohol. And, and that was just like, that was like light and petrol for me because I am not an alcoholic, but alcohol was a gateway because for some reason, the minute I sipped a beer or any kind of alcoholic drink, I wanted something salty and crunchy. I didn't think about the next drink. I did kind of, but it wasn't what mattered to me. So um, I just, as my age went up and I stopped doing as much sport, my, you know, my, my weight went up and I genuinely didn't know. I had a friend who was a doctor who said to me, how did you not know you were 25 stone? And I'm thinking which, sorry, guys, about 380 pounds or something. And I thought, well, this didn't happen because I had a snack accident. This wasn't because I tripped over a box of Pringles. This was because I couldn't stop bloody eating. And I didn't know that I was eating against my will. I didn't realize I was eating. Well, I kind of knew sometimes. Um, and then it just got worse. And my brother had suggested a way to me. And I was like, what are you on about? There is, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not, I couldn't understand it. But he had a nerve but it took many, many years. So I'm going to go into the, more about alcoholism and tell you my story around it. So most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. You know, I couldn't admit it. I didn't know. I actually didn't know it was a compulsive reader because it was all I knew. And that was, that's really hard. Some people get it when something traumatic happens and it's, it's all I knew. I just thought I was greedy. I genuinely thought, I would look at one of my best friends. There's a lot of chocolate bars say here that come in two pieces. They'd eat half a bar and I'd be looking at her and she'd be talking to me and I'd be thinking, are you insane? That's all I could think. And then I'd go out for dinner with my husband and it would be like, or my friends say, for example, and they'd be telling me really intimate details of their life. And I'm sat there calculating in my head, could I get away with two starters? Do you think I could have two sides? I wonder if she's going to order dessert. This was go- This was the rhetoric going through my head. And then when I ate, I felt shit about myself. And when I felt shit, it made me want to eat again. Sorry for swearing. I just realized it'd be recorded. Sorry, guys. So it says, surprising, you know, countlessly in attempts I tried all the pain ways the only thing I've not done is surgery and I did lose weight you know I lost weight a lot of weight but all I really did was send my weight out for reinforcements because I came back with twice as many friends I couldn't believe it and then it goes on to say the persistence of this illusion is astonishing and I've got a really good um got a really good book it's the big book dictionary and uh it talks about the delusion and the illusion it gives you a definition and I love it the delusion definition is, is an unsound and misleading reasoning. Honestly, let me tell you about my misleading reasoning in a minute. And then the illusion is incorrect or untrue belief or view of reality. I swear to God, what I don't know what it is about Monday for us guys, but it'll always be different on a Monday. And then all of a sudden, Tuesday, I was eating again. And Wednesday, I was so in the food, I wasn't even remembering what I was eating. I ate over the sink, so it didn't count. You know what I'm thinking? Holy moly, guacamole, what's going on here? And then I think I'll start again. And so I had a big blowout in the weekend. You know, you clear the cupboards. How many times have I cleared the cupboards? I can tell you, Monday, I'm starting afresh. It never worked. It just never worked. 
you know, and I, it, not for me, because I really believed it would. And honestly, if I had taken a lie detector test, I would have told you, I would have told you that I, you know, I'd never drink because I was chasing the effect constantly. It says in the doctor's opinion, you know, re-acute, she ate because she loved the effect produced by her alcoholic foods. And even though I began to know they were injurious, I couldn't differentiate the two from the false after a time. My compulsive overeating life was the only one I knew. It really was. So we goes on to say that this delusion has to be smashed. You know, this, this false belief that I'd be different this time where men and women have lost their ability to control their drinking. And there's a really, there's a story at the back of the big book called Women Suffer Too. It was written by a woman called Marty Mann. And she was one of the first women in AA. And there was a really good thing. She has this method. They, they coined it the Marty Mann method. And she'd tell her sponsees, if you think you're alcoholic, you know, try this little controlled drinking experiment. Have for six months, have a drink every day. One, one more than one and less than three, I think it was, or no more than three. And if you can do that like a lady or like a gentleman every day, then you'll be grand. It's the same with us. Go to a buffet. See, see how you can manage it and all you can eat buffet. Because I can tell you, I eat myself sick every time. And there is something about sandwiches when they are cut into triangles. I seem to calculate that I could eat 40 more than I would if they were in halves. I don't know what that is, but it's my crazy brain. Because this is a problem. My broken brain cannot fix my broken brain. It's only the steps. And what the steps do is they comfort the disturbed and they disturb the comfortive. And that's what it did for me. The, this book, the steps will do for you what the food does without all the horrific consequences. I have a freedom now I never thought in a million years I'd experience, you know. It goes on over any considerable time, we get worse, never better. That was my relapse. I got into a way when I first came in. I thought everybody was nuts. They were talking about God. I was sure everybody was going to be huge. I went into the room and they were slim. I was gutted. And then they started talking about these things. And I remember one of my very first weeks ringing up somebody going, I'm standing at the kitchen. I know I shouldn't be going to eat. And I can't understand. I remember actually gripping the kitchen door. And they were. it was like they were talking me off an ledge. And I began to understand what I, I began to see, that my emotions were driving me. I was allowing them to make me eat. You know, and that's what it is. It's emotional recovery for me now. Because it was all the buildup of resentment, all the buildup of my fears over my life. And it says that, you know, Fear is just false evidence appearing real. It's made up stories in my head that I tried to believe that would make me eat. It's the resentment is the number one killer of alcoholics. It says that, you know, I'd be drinking poison, hoping you would die, then you wouldn't die. So I'd have to eat some more. Never made sense, you know. So I worked the steps and I did it through a lot of the OA stuff and I did get good recovery. And then 2008, I got married. We were going on a honeymoon for three months. And sadly, in, on an airplane at 50,000 feet in the air from Vegas to LA, I seriously believed geographical cure, I'd be all right in the airplane because I was hungry and I could eat this one thing. That was one of my alcoholic foods. I'd forgot about the phenomenal craving. I forgot about the mental twist that tells me I'll be okay. The phenomenal craving that puts the physical thing in my body and off I was. Now, I didn't pick up straight away. I wasn't writing the food again, but I noticed we went around the world. I noticed when I got to New Zealand, I was going to OA meetings. I was doing things, but I wasn't doing as much. Can I just make it clear at that moment that I ate that piece of chocolate, that was not where I lost my abstinence, really. It was when about three or four weeks before that, because you can only see relapse in the rearview mirror. It was a couple of weeks before that when it stopped doing my work, when it stopped making as much outreach, when the wedding took over and stuff like that. I'll be OK. I'll be OK. I've got enough in the bank. I've got enough in the bank. I don't have enough in the bank. This isn't a banking thing. This is a daily reprieve for me. 
So by the time I got to Hong Kong, I remember praying before I went into the room, thinking, please don't leave anything in the room. Please don't let there be X, Y, and Z. And sure enough, there was X, Y, and Z. And I knew it was like then. And then I went off and did a lot of research and put on somewhere in the region of 150 pounds. A lot of life things happened. I got diagnosed in 2002 with an autoimmune disease, which I was on steroids and chemo for. And then I got periods, chinks of abstinence, but I wasn't in fit spiritual condition. And my recovery was built in sand. And it just wasn't strong enough. And I wasn't relying on God. I My ego had come back in again, which is edging God out. And my ego has three things, make me right, make me different, and make me feel good right now. And the only thing that could do that was food. I'd stop serving. I became dominant because my heart will always want to serve, but my ego will never want to give up control. So I, I knew then I was in trouble and uh, my dad died and then my mom died and I was very close to both of them. They died within a year. And then I got diagnosed with stage four cancer. And put on an extra, extraordinary amount of steroids and I just couldn't stop eating. I'm not blaming that for the eating, by the way. I just ate my way through the cancer. I'm sure I frightened the cancer off with sugar. It was horrendous. I couldn't stop eating. And I got a massive spiritual experience. This does not happen for everybody. So I want to make this clear. If this doesn't happen to you, it's okay. It had to happen to me because I was eating like Bill drank. I was eating myself to death. The cancer was killing me, but the food was going to kill me even worse. Kill quicker, I think. And by the, I got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and that's what I had. And then I was in a bath in the hospital. I had sepsis nine times. The only thing that took away a pain was a really hot bath. I was sat in the bath and I let the bath water put out. For anybody who's big and a hundred pounder, if you let bath water go out first and you're a wee bit weak, rookie mistake. Couldn't get out of the bath. And I remember being in the hospital and there's one of those cords where you can pull somebody in. My nurse was about the size of Britney Spears. There was not a chance she was going to be able to lift me. And I thought, I can't pull that toggle. And I started to cry. I'm not a big crier. And I started to cry. I thought, I'm licked. I can't do this. And I heard, I thought, and I heard God as clear as I'm talking to you now. And he said, you need to go back to the way. And I thought, yeah, but you need to get me out of this bloody bath. <laughs> I was naked and freezing. I got out of the bath. I was in a wheelchair. A couple of weeks later, I wheeled myself into a way. And I've not looked back. And it's nearly four years. And by the grace of God, I've been recovered ever since. I've done it the big book way. Now, this is my textbook. This is my Bible. It's the only way. It's actually falling apart. It's the only way that I can live. So that's why I love this, because I am like a man. I had just lost my legs, and I literally had, actually. And thank God, thank God, I am cancer-free now. It is a miracle, honestly. But what is the biggest miracle for me is that I don't turn to food. And just presently, you can't see me, but I'm sat on, <laughs> I'm sat about two metres off the ground at the minute. I've just spent the last two months in LA, and on my last week, I skidded on a scooter in Skid Row, ironically. Um, came off because I was getting a photo of a building I wanted. Um, came off the scooter, smashed my ankle really badly. Had to fly home on an emergency flight. This happened just a couple of weeks ago. Had emergency surgery. I've now got my foot in a huge boot. And I'm sat here sober. The last thing I thought of when I was, I never thought once of the food. When I was lying in the gutter upside down with a paramedic going, how are you still conscious? I was going, I don't know, I'm a bit of a chatter. So, um, you know, I didn't think of the food. And that to me makes me want to cry because that's a miracle. Because I, you only have two, you know, I only have two rooms in my house. One is recovery and one is disease, and they can't, they can't be both open at the same time, you know. So the, some of the methods we tried, you know, I tried everything: drinking beer only, you know, eating low fat stuff. You know, for me, it's half the fat, so I ate twice as much. You know, that kind of crap, stuff like that. You know, and it says um, many real alcoholics aren't going to believe they're in the class. I didn't. I tried every form of self-deception and experimentation. If I ate it quickly over the fridge or ate it quickly out of the fridge, it didn't count. If I ate it over the sink, it didn't count. You know, I actually forgot until I had to keep a food diary because I, I 
share my food with my sponsor every day. Until I saw that, I, I didn't have a, I didn't know what I was eating. I didn't realize the volume. And that's the thing I learned the second time around. Everybody bangs on about the sugar, right? It's so much bit deeper than that. It's food behaviors. It tells us absence is the action of refraining from. It's those food behaviors where I was inhaling the food. I don't inhale food anymore. If I feel like I'm getting a bit quick with my fork, I put it down. Because I mightn't have a needle in my arm, but I've got a fork in my hand. So I have to be really careful. I put the fork down. And I say a prayer if I'm having one of those days. I can't remember the last time I did it, but I do do it. I have to be mindful, you know, and I have to think, is this nutritious or am I trying to get something out of it? Because I would chew a wasp to get a buzz. I really would. That's the type of person I am. I'm an addict. I have a disease and more. Whether that's Netflix, Amazon or food, whatever it is, handbags, shoes. I mean, we're getting house painted at the minute. Of course, I've got builders in on top of everything else. Organized chaos. Um, it's good. I can keep an eye on them. Eye on them. But, um, you know, I, I was looking at my shoe collection thinking, I can't even wear half of them. You know, it's just ridiculous. That's my addiction. You know, it manifests itself in other ways, you know. It'll go into everything. So um, it goes on to say, um, step over to the nearest bath bar room. That's what I was saying in page 31. You know, go to an all-you-can-eat buffet. See how you do, because it never worked out for me. Um, and I have to be honest. You know, I have to be honest. I have to say to myself, how I do it now people I hear people say they're and 10 and 11 and 12 that's not my experience I have to step one when my eyes open in the morning I'm Rita Quinn Rita Q and I'm a recover compulsive overeater I have to say that before my feet hit the ground before my feet well my boot and my leg hit the ground at the minute and then when I swing my boot over I say to God take this day from me and this morning I said take this day from me because this leg is really hurting and it's beginning to do me at it and I can't believe another six weeks of it straight back one day at a time Three, we have five four. minutes left. Thanks so much, Marla. Four or five. You know, look at anything that's bothering me. I'm on the step 10 tree and I have a step 10 tree and partner. I share my resentments and fears every day. If I don't get to share them there because they crop up. It doesn't say if they crop up. Believe me, they crop up. You know, I remember hearing an AA speaker once said, everything's great until the hand hits the, um, the front door. That's when it all goes. <laughs> that's when it all goes to crap, you know. So, you know, I own that. I look at my character defects, ask for them to be removed, to try not indulge in them. There, I've got loads of them, lists of them. You know, I make any amends as I go on the way. The first night out of the hospital was horrendous two weeks ago. My poor husband, nothing was right. I was in so much pain. I was on morphine. I was asking them to help me. And, you know, and I had to actually, I actually remember putting down my crutches and I said, I am a behaving appallingly and I am so sorry. That's a miracle for me alone. Step 10, as I said, resentments and fears. 11, talk to God, you know, 10. I clear the channel to somebody else. 11, I allow God to fill up my channel again. And step 12, I clear the channel again. You know, because it's pleasing in the morning, thank you at night, and in between helping another compulsive overeater, because that's all I can do. All I can do now is help others, because unless I do, do that, I'm in self. One of my sponsees rang me um, on the day after my crash in LA. At this stage, they didn't know how bad the damage was because I had to fly home for the surgery. You know, she said, you sat and, sat and read step through a message. Yeah, but I couldn't do the prayer. I couldn't get on my knees because I was completely immobile. But she said, you did step three. And I said, what else am I going to do? Lie and think about the pain because that wasn't going to help me or help anybody, you know. And that's what's really important to me now is being of service. I'm blessed because I'm retired, you know. And I just want to read. I wanted to read you something that was really important to me. And um. That thing about the countless vain attempts as well, there's in the window of opportunity on page 425, it makes it really clear. It says the definition of a bottom is different for everybody. 
it's when the last thing you're about, the last thing you lost or the next thing you're about to lose is more important to you than the drink or the food. That point is different for everybody, and some of us die before we get there. And as sad as that is, that is the truth. Some of us do die before we get there. And I would have died had God not sent a search and rescue. If I do not work hard at this every single day, if I do not service, if I don't sponsor, and step 12 to me is so important. It keeps me sane, being able to talk to others, being able to hear their message. And if there are any newcomers in here, if you think I'll never be able to do it, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't believe in God. It doesn't matter. Just step out in faith. People always say to me, but what does your God look like? That scene in Indiana Jones for anybody who's young enough or old enough to remember at the Temple of Doom when he's told to walk across the bridge he can't see and the guy who's just won the Oscar starts shouting, Indy, Indy, you can do it. Go across the bridge and he throws out the stones and he steps out in faith and he can't see the bridge. That's what it's about because my way didn't work. 50% of this head tells me lies and the other 50% believes it. Without the help of God, the full reliance on God as it talks about in one of the prefaces, without that, I can't do this because I, I, I played to the tune of me, 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 because that, and I got myself into this mess. I am powerless over food, but I am not helpless. And I'm going to finish with page four, five, one. He lived to, he lived to drink. Yeah, he lived only, oh, he lived only to drink. It says the rewards of sobriety are bountiful and as progressive as a disease they counteract. Certainly among these rewards for me are released from the prison of uniqueness and the realization that participation in the AAOA way of life is a blessing and privilege beyond estimate. A blessing to live a life free from the pain and degradation of drinking and filled with the joy of useful sober living and a privilege to grow in sobriety one day at a time and bring the message of hope as it was brought to me. I was hopeless. And you, you know, to find hope, you've got to be hopeless. And if you're feeling hopeless, I've been there. I've been there at 400 pounds, not being able to get up, not fitting on seats, dreading plane journeys unless I was in business class, which is a ridiculous amount of money. You know, that was my story, you know, and feeling shame because I wore my disease very, very loudly at 400 pounds. You know, I've released, I think, nearly over 100 pounds now. But, you know, the weight is irrelevant. It's, it's the sanity in my head because that's going to keep coming down. It's just now not reacting. It's not going from not to crazy in three seconds. It's not pointing the finger at everybody else. It's not screaming. And it's not losing my head over the fact that my husband didn't do the dishwasher properly. You know, that's just not my life anymore. You know, every day on here was a nomination for the Oscars because I was just, you know, that was me. Drama, drama, drama. You know, and it's, it's just not like that now. And I'm so grateful for it. And I'm grateful for being asked to come here today and share a message of hope. And I'm grateful for everybody who's, especially on this meeting, who's helped me on my journey. So I'll just finish with that. I'm always, my number is there. I'm always on outreach. You can come and, you know, talk to me whenever you need me. I'm not going anywhere fast at the minute and I'm never going to the moped or, or uh, electric scooter again, just to clarify that. So I will pass that. And I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Rita. Oh my 